0: Hi, I'm Chris Shaffrey, the president of the AANS, and I want to invite you to Boston for our annual meeting,
1: which is going to be held on April 25th through 29th, 2020. The theme of the meeting is the world of neurosurgery. It's going to be an exciting, informative, compelling meeting, and I strongly encourage you all to attend. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started.
0: We are live. Great, thank you so much for doing this, Jean Paul and Mike.
1: Yeah, thank you for being here, Anil. And, and we're, we're blessed to have you here. And I think almost all our listeners will know who Anil Nanda is. But let me just let him introduce himself and a little bit of his background first.
0: So uh, I am at Rutgers, I'm professor and chair of both the medical schools. And I, I'm the senior vice president for the Rutgers RWJ Barnabas Health System which is a $6 billion healthcare system with 9,000 doctors and it's the largest employer in the state of New Jersey, I think 33,000 employees. Huh? So I think I've been there about 16 months and I'll tell people, as Robin Williams would say, I feel like a hemophiliac in a razor factory. <laughs> you don't know where the blades are coming from, but it it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, It's always good to change culture and culture beats, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch every day, so... some of the challenges of running a system. And a little bit about myself. About 30 years ago, I got a phone call from uh, Louisiana, and I said, you want a Hindu boy and a Yankee wife and the Bible belt? You're nuts or something. And so my wife and I moved on. I told her, we'll be there a year or two years. Ended up being there for almost 28 years. But we were very blessed. We built a department there, a training program. And, uh, you know, I always tell people, Louisiana, the DNA flows through my blood. And I had a wonderful time there. Uh, but my kids are in the Northeast, and my wife, you know, you marry a Jersey girl, she'll make sure you go back to Jersey, so. <laughs> yeah, you're close to your, your sons and your daughter yeah, now, right? it's very nice. We're close to the city, and you know, so the best thing I like is I get nonstop flights anywhere I want to go. <laughs> it's like a big change for me, yeah.
1: Great. Well, we wanted to have you talk about something very specific, and I know that you're a man of the world. You can speak about any number of topics, philosophy, history, science, medicine. But you've been placed in a very interesting, and I will say complex position. I think, because you're you're at this nexus in, in two different ways, right? In this new job, one is, and please stop me if I'm paraphrasing incorrectly. You're merging a DO and MD training program, and you're also merging two different uh, medical school departments, right? Correct. So let's let's take them one at a time, and then. Uh,
0: tell us a little bit about this, because this is really, maybe this is a bellwether for the future. Well, I think the important thing to remember is that ACGME took a very prophetic view, a prescient view, that that all neurosurgeons should be standardized, you know? And it, the thing is, it's not like if your daughter or your mother was in an ER in Kansas or in Tulula, Louisiana, that their certification of the neurosurgeon that came in be different. So that way you would feel good that no matter where my kid or family goes, it's standardized. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a great move on the ACME to do. Listen, we want all programs to be the same and we want a level of fairness and equality so that it's all standardized. So it's not like one board is superior to the other, uh, but it's a safe and effective board. So that was the impetus of doing this. And I feel very strongly when I did this job that these are our children too. You know, I mean, I always tell people, my residents after my kids are the most important people in my life, mm. and I think we want to make sure that that sense is there. So when we went there, when I moved down there, the DO program was actually a very good program. Uh, they would not been accredited, I think, a couple of years in a row, and uh, so I was brought in, and I said, well, let me look at what the problems are, and actually the RRC decision just came in, but they gave us a compliment increase. So we have to 18 residents and all those DO residents have come in. And my working with them is, these kids are really good. I mean, you know, they're the top of the top. You're a DO, you're going to do neurosurgery, it's very competitive. And so they're really bright kids. They want to publish, they're technically... I mean, I, my first craniotomy I did with the DO chief resident was really good. I mean, he was meticulous, he was thoughtful, and I was like, you know, there's no difference. So. I think they were held, they were given an unfair hand because it was sort of this subliminal thing, you're really not that good, you're a DO resident or whatever, and I think these kids are very good. So I feel very fortunate that we were able to vindicate this and say, listen, this works, the kids are really good, and you know, there's bad residents and there's good residents. It isn't that there's DO residents and there's MD residents. I mean... We've all seen that we've had to terminate MD residents, and we've seen lazy... You know what I mean? So, we were able to see that, and you know, the incorporation has worked really well. Uh, But we've done a lot of morale-boosting things. I have a journal club at my house. When they got the official news, they're going to go for a a hockey game together. They got the skybox from the systems. So, we've got a long way to do that. We try to meet every month. It's a little difficult, bringing it, because, you know, there was some resentment from the MD residents, well you know, my process was much more competitive than yours. But you know, it's like the old thing I always tell my kids, uh, you know, it's not where you learned how to do your art and your job, it's how you do your job. Mm. So we've all seen somebody coming from Harvard and it's not being able to do the job. And I always tell people I went to the University of Madras, I didn't turn off to behead, you know what I mean? It's again how you do your job. And I think that's an important thing to impart to the residents. That listen, we're in this together, and we want you to be safe. We want you to work hard. And I think those are pretty universal values. You know, it's like telling your kids you're not gonna lie, you can't have Kit Kats for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like that's not good for you. You need protein. You know. So I think that that's how it works. So you
1: you still have two separate structures, right? The Do residents are one particular system of hospitals and the MDR at the other. No. It's no, they're complete. all together? We merged
0: completely. Really? We said, this can't be a slightly pregnant kind of deal. Either you're full wow. in or full out. <laughs> so I just took complete ownership and we wow. said, this is the academic curriculum. So now we already, we had an M&M. So the one thing we've done very well is audiovisual. So M&M now is between three places. And we have live TV, so all the cases, the PowerPoint goes up, this is the case. I feel m M&M is the moral conscience of a department. That's just no spin zone. You can't have this, you know, I've done 3,000 cases and nobody had any complications and everybody went right. home six hours later. You know, I'm like, no, it doesn't <laughs> right. work like that. So I think the residents need to learn that. So we merge the m M&M and right away. Then we have visiting professors and... Mike Wang is going to come as a visiting professor, and the only criteria for him was that if you had bench pressed 400 pounds in the past, you could come on in. But not <laughs> not <to laughs> well, that you're it. too kind, Anil. No, so he's going to, so we, we and the way I did it is, that we emphasize that, you know, Wednesday morning is like, you know, whether you're going to church or synagogue or temple, it's not negotiable, so everybody has to be there. And that gives a sense of community, so we've done that, uh, we've set up an academic curriculum, and I think the residents, and we've had a lot of workshops for, the, for both the residents. So creating that Aspirity core has gone a long way. And I mean, I told the DRL the first time, I did, they a word, what's going to happen? I said, you know, I want you to be on the plenary session of AANS. I said, I want you to do such good work that, okay, you get recognition for it. And that's our job, is to inspire these kids to do a good job.
1: Yeah, I remember when the announcement was made that you were going to take that job, that uh, several of the DO residents, because I had helped the DOs get membership in the CNS, they, they they called me and they said, you know, thank God, because as you know, several have closed around the country. And these guys were actually worried about what was their future, their whole future was at stake. But of course, that's not easy. I mean, I, I would expect a little pushback from the allopaths as would be natural, but that's the easier of the two things you had to do, right? So tell us now about the other project in terms of merging.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, we had we sort of two medical schools had different systems. And you realize New Jersey is a very anomalous market. It's uh, out of network. So, you know, I mean, I had a neurologist, one of our endovascular neurologists. Every time I put a catheter in the gro- groin, I charged $5,000. When I do an angiogram, I get $25,000. When I call an aneurysm, I get $80,000. Like, this almost seems morally egregious. And I'm like, you know, I feel like I practiced in Louisiana for 27 years. I could have been in Costa Rica because <laughs> yeah. we did 100,000 RBR views and we collected about 8 million. And here, you do half the RBR views, and you're getting three times the money. Yeah. So this out-of-network boondoggle, which is being addressed nationally, locally, is now not that, you know, it's not an issue. So we had sort of this for-profit, best German economy model in one place, and the other place was sort of this East German economy model. And I think we made some progress, but you know, it doesn't happen overnight, uh, I think it takes a while to do that. But what I like to do is bring it all together. So we do have very, be we weekly, monthly meetings all the time. I, I'm complete transparency. I tell people, this is our goal, this is what we're going to get here. We want to have a department that publishes over 200 papers a year. We hired a really good research scientist, Declan Boyson. He's like the emperor of Adonisine. He has two R01s. He comes in, and so we have research outlets for our residents. That's what we're going to do. Then he mentored the younger attendings. And then, you know, the thing that was amazing, our first year, I did 70 recruitment dinners in the whole year. Wow. I would bring in three people non-competing, so endovascular, pediatric, tumor, or spine, and take them out for dinner. Because I'm like, otherwise I'm going to be eating out every day. And I'm like, no. So we merged those two. They're like practical ways to make it work. But we hired six people the first year. And this year, we hope to hire about four. So, I think you know it just you 're not going to do it it 's like that you know you 're not going to change an oil tanker one hundred and eighty degrees it 's going to be one degree every three days, and that 's how you turn it you know yeah i mean how what do you do to to maintain
1: your mental health because I can imagine i 've heard a lot about the New Jersey market. We have a little bit of that trickle down to Florida right because the snowbirds, and I have always worried about the issue of you know, the folks like you say, they do, you know, like the Dr. Mew case that was in the Wall Street Journal or New York Times, like one ACDF assistance, assistant surgeon is making $120,000 or whatever. I mean, if you take, if you suck that fuel out of the system, for better or worse, and I'm not casting a moral judgment, it's just everybody that's part of that system is going to go nuts. Like, what's going to happen there? How do it's you it It's a maintain? big
0: cultural change. And you know, that was the front page of the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, and I think you've got to remember this out-of-network bill that went into New York happened because this woman was going to have a Lombardist taken out, and she was in network, the company, insurance company Blue Cross says it will give you $60,000 for the surgery for the hospital. Well she goes and gives it to the doctor, and then the doctor says, after he's taken the money, you know, this is not my full bill, you owe me another $70,000. And then the insurance company tells her, well he bought it in our network, give our 60 grand back. Mm. So all of a sudden, this poor woman is stuck with $130,000 worth of bills. So she goes up to this, the uh, legislation body, and it gets passed through, and they make it illegal. And now New Jersey is going to do that, too. But I also think, you know, sometimes... I mean, listen, if the emirate of Sultan of some Dubai comes and wants yeah. to give $3 million to have an ingrown toenail removed, that's his prerogative. Right. And I would never resent somebody making $3 million for an ingrown toenail. That's what they want to do. And, you know, it's interesting culturally... Like in Singapore, they the neurosurgeon, they told me, we bill according to what we think they can pay. Really? Yes. So there was a famous case of this guy who made all the Bruce Lee movies, you know, Kung Fu fighting, all that stuff. Ray Chow. Yeah. So whoever, his dad had a chronic subdural. Okay. Right? Goes to Singapore, you know, there, they drain the thing, he's there for two weeks. Like, you know, the simplest procedure yeah, we yeah. do. He built and collected over $150,000. dollars mm. So, you know, I don't, like, it's, that's nothing for him, okay? You know, it's like you know, it's like the owner of Amazon giving us a quarter or something, so it's not a big deal. But, I mean, I don't resent that. But I think that once you deny care, and I also think from an educational point of view, if you're doing out a network, then what happens is you see this it percolates down. So the PAs get used to seeing five cases a day rather than 50, because you don't have to do that much. You know, you're yeah. going to get a gazillion dollars every time you operate. And I really don't resent that. I just think for as an education, for standardization, and in the end, this money comes from us. I mean, it's, you know, we end up paying for this, whether you like it or not, it's the cost of healthcare.
1: care. Yeah, I mean, I'm conflicted as you are, because it's like, on the one hand, the skill set, and I think most patients would never begrudge us. It's like, wow, you know, you should command the ability to say this you know, this surgery can be priceless, right? And that's the truth, that human beings' health is priceless on a certain value system. And so yeah, you know, maybe people should charge whatever they want. On the other hand, the system has to function, right? Like people have to be able to get care. And I think that's where I think some of our colleagues sometimes maybe they're a little bit out of touch. Like, you know, you can, you can really ruin a system
0: that was working pretty well by a couple bad examples, right? Well, I give the example. I've done twenty two hundred ACDs, okay, it's so a large series. I published my series. I love ACDs, all right? So in my system, I get paid, I think in New Brunswick, three thousand dollars for an A C D or four thousand or whatever it's in a network. Well the guy in private practice is charging sixty thousand for the mm-hmm. same procedure. Yeah. And my philosophical question is, you know, you might be twice as good as I am, but you're not 20 times as good. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? I'm right. like, seriously, right. guys. You know, right. I'm, you know, and so my feeling is, I think, and I also feel, it's not that I'm a socialist or anything, but I do think people should have access to care. And I, I'm really against somebody with limited means, mortgaging their house, to get through like a lumbar disc operation, you know what I mean. Now it's different, you know. It's a skull base or some, any of these things. Nothing is, you know. Yeah,
1: I just, you know, I worry that they, if they change the system too rapidly, people can't adjust. You know, I, I you know, of course, the surgeons, you know, they have to, they have to adjust with the times. You know, hopefully, it happens in a way that everybody can live happily and, and continue. Because I know you've got to manage a lot of big, big problems, um, yeah, for the whole state. I mean, this is a state wide issue, right? Yeah. So what do you do about your mental
0: health? Like, I mean, it's a lot of stress, right? Well, you know, I think, you know, Ibotheus was the wonderful philosopher in the sixth century, and he was very high up in the Roman Empire, and then they condemned him to death. So he had like six months, and he wrote this beautiful book called The Constellations of Philosophy. And he has a very powerful line in that. He says, no matter how fast the wheel turns, the center never moves. Hmm. Yeah. And I think you have to be grounded. Like, I really I mean, look, the burnout rate in our profession is 51%. 40, 50, 50. I, you know, my like I meditate every morning. You know, it's very important for me. You know, I like to work out frequently. And I always tell all the younger guys, you've got to be balanced. And you can't take this to heart, you know. It's a wonderful responsibility. But what does this have to do with eternity? You know what I mean? It has very little to do with eternity. And, you know, in fact, since your first name is John Paul, Pope John Paul had a wonderful line. He says, every day is a great day to be born, every day is a great day to die, and my bags are always packed. (laughs) And, you know, so there's sort of this, you know, balance that you really can't take this to heart, you have to be happy, you have to be abelient, and, you know, I mean, I personally think every time I split the fissure, or I do an ACD, I'm like, I can't believe they pay me to do this. Because I enjoy it so much. And I think that's the key. Uh, you know, when David Foster Wallace gave the great commencement address at Kenyon College, he said, you know, if you're going to make money the focus of your career, you will never have enough. And I think that's so important. If that's the only focus that motivates you, then it's not going to make you happy. You know, because you don't say, well, I, I deserve... Five million dollars for the screen out of me. Like, where are you gonna stop? You know. Yeah. I you know, I worry because you know we're we're
1: schizophrenic, right? We're part priest, part scientist, part clinician, part uh, part mentor, part manager, and, and all these different parts. And and the thing I love about you, Neil, is you bring this sort of priest class part of what we do, and, and maybe that's the most at-risk part of what we do now. And I think that as we move towards the new healthcare regimes. And paradigms, that's what I worry most about, that we're vulnerable to people saying, you're no longer part of that class of people. We no longer can trust you to have our best interests at heart. So you're mentoring these young people. I'm very, very happy to see that they're in good hands. And all I hear is good things uh, coming out of New Jersey from these folks, from the young folks.
0: Well, I think you need to be grounded. You need to be humble. I still feel that compassion is so important in our business. And the day we lose that, we lose perspective. I mean, this is an incredible privilege to do what we do. We're so fortunate, so blessed. And if hubris takes the place of humility, you know, Icarus flew too close to the sun. If he not flown that close to the sun, the wax would have never melted. And that's why I worry. Some of the things were like, oh, we don't want this. We don't want. It. I think we need to be open, and we need to be constructive. And you know, there's no right answer to some of these things. But I think. We try to get equipoise, and we try to balance it and say, listen, we're going to do what's right.
1: Well, I think it's beautiful to sit here and listen to the level of bliss you find in your work. Um, Doing something, like you say, thousands of these procedures, and, and you still find it to be such a privilege and a joy each time, and bringing that level of care, that level of compassion to a patient, who that's their one and only experience with this procedure, right? And... Having someone with your mindset and background,
0: shepherding them through that experience has got to be wonderful for them, wonderful for the people you're training in your system. So thank you for sharing everything with us today and being here. Thank you so much, John Paul. Thank you, Mike.